Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Circuit. I am Ben Beharin. Salutations, Internet. I'm Jay Goldberg. So today, it's November 20th. And for those of you in tech, you'll know that this weekend was a crazy madcap soap opera known as OpenAI. And Lord knows you don't need us to tell you anything about that. It's all over the press right now. We're not going to get into that whole drama, as fun as it is. But one of the very, very sub, sub, small stories buried inside of all that was it's clear that one of the protagonists in all this, Sam Altman, has some ambitions around semiconductors and silicon. And I, I, we don't know what that's going to mean for OpenAI, but it is an interesting entry point for our topic today, which is talking about custom silicon, right? It's a big trend. This is just one of the small manifestations of what's becoming a pretty important topic. So today we're going to explore this a little bit. Probably the most, uh, and, it, and it's timely too, because last week we had some actual news around custom silicon. We had Microsoft launching its two of its chips. Very exciting. And then we had a big event with MediaTek, or MediaTek had a big event with analysts talking about many topics, one of which was their ambitions in custom silicon. So, Ben, you were at both those events. Why don't you start telling us a little bit about what Microsoft has unveiled? Yes. And as many of our listeners will recall, we've talked about this a lot uh, from the very one of our first three episodes was about the verticalization of semiconductors. It's a trend that we've uh, obviously been seeing. And I think all this is doing is furthering uh, those who believe they need or they want broader differentiation with custom silicon. There'd been rumors Microsoft was doing this, probably one of the, again, worst kept secrets in, in the supply chain, that this Athena chip was going to be a, a, um, a very specific accelerator. What was interesting was they've got two chips. They have a, a, a ARM processor uh, called Cobalt, and they have a accelerator called Maya. And the ARM one's interesting because they had a deal uh, with Ampere, and it's a very similar structure to Ampere. It's a 128-core ARM processor, which, again, when I talked to them about this in some of the analyst briefings we got, uh, they were very clear this is going into kind of that ARM native slot of the data center segment. So again, very similar to where uh, Ampere has been positioned and obviously Intel and AMD both have SKUs that are are what we call cl- you know in the cloud native part of the category. Um, so they're obviously trying to, and I think we can talk about what's their what's their goal there. You know, why do your own versus just work with Ampere um, in uh, in this in this part? But one of the more interesting ones was the AI accelerator dedicated to, they say training, but also inference. I think we can debate and, and actually think part of where we should discuss what's going on with now Sam Altman and Greg Brockman joining Microsoft around what the training op- opportunity may be. But this particular chip, I think, is is very specific to uh, really accelerating the inference models for um, some of the underlying structure that Microsoft has, obviously Teams runs in the cloud, Office runs in the cloud. Uh, there'll be client versions of that, um, but those cloud-based versions are, are running large language models and could use acceleration. So that was, you know, kind of the the surprise was two chips, not that Microsoft was doing chips. Now they're sort of positioned in what do both those products do? Well, one of the interesting things just at a software level for the hyperscalers, 
um, is, you know, none of them, when I talk to them are sitting there saying, well, you as the developer, you're going to target one of these chips, right? They don't want you worrying about silicon. They want a silicon diverse strategy, but they don't want you necessarily thinking about where your workloads are going to go. They want their underlying software uh, to basically determine that you just show up and say, here's my workloads. Uh, do I want lower cost? Do Am I willing to pay a premium to have uh, these things get trained faster, for example? And, and the software will determine where those, uh, where those workloads go. And that's a good start. It's an, it's an intriguing first start. But I like that this era of, call it silicon diversity, and what we'll also just say competitiveness in the data center is, is, is less about you picking those specific instances and more bring your workload and the software will define, uh, will define that sec that where those go, uh, on MediaTek's front, like you said, uh, custom is, is an area of the business that they want to get into, but they also don't want to be contract designers like Alchip is and, uh, and global Unichip and, you know, a few others. I mentioned those two companies because Alchip's doing those for uh, Amazon and Global GUC or Global um, uh, Global GUC is doing that. This is for uh, for Maya for for Microsoft. Um, but this is a big business. I mean, I've looked at a couple different reports on this. Um, it looks like the next year range for uh, custom silicon in core compute, which Broadcom and and in Marvel also do is somewhere in the six to $7 billion range, um, growing up at the, of around 30% per year. Some of those forecasts, assuming that they'll do to more of their data center. And this could be a healthy business, right? In a couple of years, 10, 15, 20 billion a year in custom Silicon. So there's a lot of money there, uh, for the underlying infrastructure and, uh, co chip co-design players. And that's where MediaTek wants to be. And it's kind of, you know, you can say that, right. I want to go, make these chips for all, all these companies. But but what's interesting, and this was the part that I think was where I think MediaTek has something to offer. Um, and then we can discuss bo both of these. So one, they were very clear that they, they are able to use their relationship and position at TSMC to offer leading edge to customers. So for example, both of Microsoft's chips, uh, Cobalt and Maya are made on TSMC five nanometer. Obviously, they have no ability to get three nanometer. They, there's no person they could go go to themselves to do. However, if they were to work with with um, MediaTek in this case, they could have access to TSMC's three nanometer or leading edge process because of their status. So that's a unique differentiator that other contract designers or companies doing design could not. And the other is the packaging. You know, they're in a position to also. Lead, offer advanced packaging either from TSMC, and we also know that they have a relationship with Intel on this at Intel's packaging. So they'd be able to bridge TSMC and Intel, both chips and, and packagings. That's also something that some of the other chip designers uh, wouldn't have. So they're in a really good position to offer those things. Now, will companies pay a premium for that, or do they just purely want a contract designer like Alchip or GUC? That's a question to me, but I do think they have something to offer and we'll see if that's attractive to the Amazons, the Microsofts, um, automotive players, et cetera, uh, uh, of the world. But at least it's, they're bringing something more to the table that I at least think is interesting. Okay. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. That's, that's, a lot. that's, a, that, that's the episode. Let's go. Thanks everybody. <laughs> no. So let, let's, let's, let's take a step back. Let's talk a little bit more about Microsoft. 
two chips, a CPU, and accelerator. Uh, plus, plus they also launched a, a DPU, right? Or is that is that the accelerator? How did that work out? Didn't they have a DPU as well? They they didn't launch the DPU. I think they. Well, but I think they confirmed what we have said before that they were doing those infrastructure parts already themselves. There was already custom silicon happening in their infrastructure. This was part of it. Um, we knew this. They don't normally talk about those those parts. Okay, so they they announced two, and they said there's a third one that is out there that we don't need to talk about. Right. Okay. Why do you think they chose to do those two? Because this to me is always the big question: is if you're if you're not a chip company, how do you pick which chips to do, and more importantly, which chips not to do? Yeah, I th I think the ARM chip, to be honest with you, is the bigger question mark because this comes back to things we have said before, especially when we talked about Apple and custom silicon. That you do this to solve a problem that you don't think a merchant vendor can solve. Right? That's sort of your starting thesis. I think Ampere's chip's pretty good. And if all this is for is um, cloud native applications, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you bring to the table there that's unique. They're using ARM, CSS, Neoverse cores. Great. That's that's a, gr a great win for ARM, actually. Um, but Ampere's you know, now moving to their own custom architecture as a part of their license and will offer some differentiated value there in terms of the metrics that that care for, for cloud-native things like lower power, performance per watt, and lower cost, right? Lower cost per inquiry or, or lower cost per, um, per instance. So that we'll need to see. They shared no benchmarks, so I'm not even sure how it compares. I heard people internally saying it performs better than the Ampere core, but that's again, that's that's last year's course. That's not Ampere's yeah, new roadmap, so, right, so, I'm, so I'm not sure. Benchmark-wise, I'm not sure. Um, but the Accelerator one, I mean, I'm super interested about because that's where I feel like they've, uh, they're have they addressing what you and I have talked about before, right? They're a problem you can't solve. I need to accelerate my, my models, my data, and they control the stack on that. And for them, that means they either think they're going to do it faster or cheaper because clearly they know how expensive this is. So they want to keep their costs down. But now that they've been tuning these models, and obviously, you know, they 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 have a, a, a deep relationship with OpenAI, still have that. Their models are very tuned to GPT and a few others. So being able to accelerate that arguably could make their models, GPT models, more competitive than you could get at Google or Amazon, for example. And so that's where I think this unique bit of, of acceleration and verticalness to the AI bit is super interesting. But again, we have no benchmarks. So we have no idea what that looks like in real life. So I, let, me, let me let me tease that apart a little bit because I think one of the interesting things that I read about, probably from Dylan Patel, semi-analysis, I think I think he he his claim is that the this new chip, Maya, is uh was actually designed prior to the huge hit success of ChatGPT. You sort of work back on the timing and like, yeah, it it probably was, they're probably finalizing the design just yeah. as GPT was going to be a big thing, which means that the, the, this chip wasn't actually built with GPT and large language models in mind. And if I, if I remember, it doesn't have enough HBM. So it is, it is a little bit memory constrained when it comes to large language models. 
So then, that's okay. Like it's I, I from what I've read, it's it's a good chip. It's their first effort at this. Yeah, like first full credit one. to them. I don't want to knock the chip too badly, but it's built for a different a different model. And I agree. The next the next version of it, they're going to want to tune it to their own AI stack, which would imply LLMs and OpenAI or whatever. Yeah. But as as someone who's worked with silicon designers. Like we we've had all this drama over the weekend. I have to wonder, like, mm-hmm. if you're on the Microsoft design team right now, are you just do you just like say, you know what, we're gonna take the day off? Mm-hmm. You guys, you guys, let us know when it's sorted out. Come back and tell us which model we should be building this chip for. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because it's it's this, and I think this is this is the root of contention when it comes to custom silicon is if you're gonna, especially with AI, anything around AI acceleration, if you're gonna design a chip only point in doing it is if it's really tightly tuned to the yes. software that's going to run on it. Yes. And if that's changing day to day based on human actions right. and board votes, that's yes. Like that, that's an interesting, I mean, that's, that's sort of a very timely particular problem, but there's a broader, there's a broader point here, which is that you really need these things to be tightly coupled because yeah. if they're not, then you might as well just go back to NVIDIA right. or AMD. Right. So to to your point about when it was when it was designed, I, th- I think I think that's entirely correct. I mean, just look at the design cycles. Uh, we're not even a year. We're just what? We're just over a year of ChatGPT, yep. maybe. Yep. Yeah, it was October yep. or something. Okay, but but the examples they kept saying was, for example, Teams. Now, I have a whatever you want to say, kindly. Uh, challenging time with Microsoft Teams. It's not my favorite product in the world to use. Um, but but they were they were talking about ways that they were accelerating teams that's running there in terms of video. And then there was already some very loosely to call AI things from you know meeting summaries and some basic stuff that that was there. So I imagine some of that was was helping, but but the language that was used and you'll appreciate this because you've you've said this before in terms felt very similar to how Google did their VPU for YouTube. Like it had a very specific goal in mind. And in this case, things like Teams and heavy things on the back end were being optimized. That that felt like the most common link to draw for this particular product, let alone you're exactly right, where it will go as it gets tuned more specifically for models that now they're in more control of than they were before. Very, very interesting. I uh, because it, this is this is fascinating to me because there's a couple a couple things here that I thought were interesting that you pointed out was the fact that they want to abstract any CPU decisions away from the their customers. Like the Azure customer in their model doesn't have to care about what CPU this is running on, right? And because if again, it's it, uh, most of their most Azure customers are running some some piece of Microsoft software. Yeah, and so Microsoft can do that work, which I think is is a big contrast from how AWS approaches things. Right, AWS is everything is autonomous, and the whole all the all their different pieces and teams interact through APIs, basically. Mm-hmm. And they give they really that's part of their selling point, I think, is to give everybody choice. Here, you want you want ARM based CPUs, you can have those. You want x eighty six, AMD, Intel, we got them all. Like, here's lots of choices, and you, they let customers pick and choose, and I, 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 
I don't spend a lot of time looking at cloud differentiation, but I know that's sort of a theme between these two, how they differ, how they right. differ, right? Right. Microsoft really wants to give you that whole solution. Yep. Which which many people will view as lock-in, but many other people will say, yeah, that's great. I don't want to have to worry about this low-level stuff. Yep. And I think that makes it possible. I think that also lends credence to them building their own CPU because a lot of these are these tasks are still CPU workloads. But it, it is a big difference with, with Amazon, right? Or Amazon uh, is essentially using cost as a way to get people onto, like they're discounting prices onto Graviton because it saves them a lot of money mm-hmm. and they're passing on those savings to customers. It's, it, it's a weird, it's a weird trade-off. It's, a, it's not a weird, it's a good trade-off. It's just interesting to think through. Yeah. Two companies that are building, both they're both building ARM-based CPUs, but they have very, very different outcomes in mind even though they're both hyperscalers and public cloud providers. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the, one of the interesting observations with that, right, is, is when you just do a, the analysis of the customers from both these companies, right, Amazon has always skewed toward, I guess what the best way to describe is you know, early adopters in enterprise or developers. So people who were, let's just say, more tech savvy as an organization, we're saying, I know what I want, and I'm just going to Amazon because I know they have it. Microsoft, in this growth spurt that you've seen over the last few years, has actually come from, you know, organizations who just, let's just say, aren't as picky. You know, they're not out there saying, well, I need to do it on this because either, not that they don't know, it's just that their 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 customer needs are very different. And so those more mature, those perhaps laggards, from an industry and or business st- standpoint, who again, or most of these very large organizations who have worked and trusted Microsoft for a very long time have been coming to Azure because there's just a simplified process. Now, Amazon can do that too, right? Amazon can say, look, if you don't care, bring your own workload, throw it on bare metal and go, right? They, they, can, they can easily do that. But Microsoft's been benefiting from a different customer whose wants and needs and to some degree you know, their customer interests are just very different than those customers Amazon has had for, you know, the past 10 years. So I, I think you've successfully picked a fight with every IT organization on the planet. It's fine. At least me. in America, right? Every single one of them, because they're either laggards or. <laughs> yes. Or, or just slaves. to find you in some category. Yes. <laughs> oh, the hate mail we're going to get. Yes. Bring it. Bring it. Um, all right. Any anything else we we need to cover on Microsoft, or should we transition to MTK? Well, I mean, I would just say if you want to work in the the now that Sam Altman and team are joining this this organization, um, what what makes it interesting is you know could we now hypothetically see more specific models? in this case, being created with the parallel silicon in mind. So just again, to use to use an Apple analogy, just because it's the best one I've got, and, and, and maybe it's not a one-to-one, but Apple will always tell you, you know, their silicon team walks in lockstep with the software teams. So software and hardware teams come out and say, this is what we want to do. Silicon goes, okay, we can help you do that. And I wonder if that same kind of thing could happen here where they say, yeah, we're going to build this next giant uh, transformer model. And to do that, we're going to let's, let's build some Silicon for it and now have these things that then manifest themselves in products in Azure infrastructure, but now have a much deeper 
integration. In fact, the note that I wrote on Ignite was saying, you know, Microsoft wants to go full stack AI. What full stack missed from that was that they don't own their own fun foundational model. They were relying on open, open AI for that. And I just wonder, okay, well, what does this mean that they will try to now build, will build their own foundational model, which will take anywhere from nine months to a year. But but could they start developing silicon in parallel with that, that that increases the differentiation for their model's efficiency in whatever performance, what, I don't know, whatever whatever they want to do, and perhaps some training silicon, right? When you control those variables, that's kind of what, we, what we've always thought was really interesting for custom. Now that Sam and team and what it sounds like most of the open AI employees probably go to Microsoft to basically be this new division. I wonder how that silicon effort goes. So I think the custom efforts got way more interesting now that that crew is now inside Microsoft. So I I agree with the caveat that it is March uh, November 20th and we still don't, no, nobody really knows what's going to happen. There. Maybe he but, still goes back to open AI tomorrow. I don't know. <laughs> That's right. It's still happened. But it, either, either way, I think it's safe to say that the open AI team or the team that was the open AI team last week Wherever it ends up, it's going to be much, much more tightly bound into Microsoft. Yes. And that opens up the doors for some really interesting potential for design. Now, I, I, I think that's the aspiration. Let's see. It's, it's obviously of what, what Apple has achieved in keeping everybody in lockstep for a decade is pretty much unheard of anywhere else in the industry. So, but they don't have to be quite that good. They don't have to be quite that locked in, but just a degree of closeness would be important here. Totally. Uh, and and uh, good good luck to them. Right. Exciting times. Okay, over to MTK. Tease that one apart. All right. So, MediaTek. I I feel like I, I every time I I bring up the subject, I forget to mention that it MediaTek has been in the custom silicon business for a very long time. Like longer than, you know, they their custom silicon efforts predate TPU and everything that we sort of tr associate with the traditional custom silicon market. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. And, and custom silicon has been around for a long time, right? LSI used to do, yep. was doing custom silicon yep. 30 years ago. TI used to build all of Nokia's modems. Yep. Right. And, but you go talk to people at TI and they wouldn't, you couldn't find anyone who actually knew anything about modems. They were, cause Nokia was doing the design work, right? This, this model of one company sort of helping a non-chip company bring a chip to market is an old business model. That's really gotten new life in the last 10 years, partly because there are now a lot of companies who can afford to invest in silicon, yeah. in silicon design. The cost of designing silicon have come down fairly yeah. substantially. And the imperative to do this because of the slowing of Moore's law has meant it, had it make more sense. Yep. And so anyway, MediaTek's been doing this for a long time. Like they've, they, they made Cisco's chips for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. Cisco's another company nobody talks about in custom silicon. They've been doing custom silicon for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So, Long way of saying, MediaTek has a lot of credibility in this space, and I think it's it's a it's a it's a good sign, it's a smart move on their part to now formalize that into, I guess, a business unit or a business of growth uh, business, a different a, type of growth business, a yeah. different type of growth business. Now, the only thing I would push back a little bit on is I th I think you wrote about this is that they they claim that the the their addressable market, the SAM, is. $30 billion by 2027? 30, 2030. 2030. So $30 billion by 30. I'm struggling to get to the math on that one because if you look at the, the market leader in the space right now is Broadcom. 
And they don't always break out their figures, but in 2021, they did $2.2 billion in custom ASIC revenue. Yeah. It's probably over three, somewhere yeah. between three and four by now. Yeah. I think they're, they're probably as big as everybody else combined, right? Marvell, AMD, MTK. So that's, that's yeah. you know, call it a six, $7 billion market now. How do we get to 30 in what, six years? Yeah. So I guess there's two things, right? And you're right about those companies' revenues, uh, obviously factoring in Alchip and um, global Unichip into that in terms of that raises the numbers slightly. But I think the the broader assumption is, one, that in, in and I think where global Unichip and Alchip and probably MediaTek start to get more interesting is not necessarily in volume, but in terms of creating these really big chips, largely using chiplets for the data center, right? Things that they, they, they showed a chip that they held up that was 91 by 91. Um, and, you know, roughly the size of my hand. And if you think about just Intel Sapphire Rapids, that's roughly this big, right? And, oh, people can't see what I'm doing. It's maybe six inches by three inches. It's a big, big package. Um, when you when you factor in how the costs into that, and even if a hyperscaler does that across their data center or racks of so, these are huge chips. So there's the cost to go up is going, and the cost to do these in a in AI because of packaging is going to be more. So I think there's an assumption of one more proliferation throughout these stack, and and I would also say some of this requires a bit of a thesis around what Amazon, what Google, and what Microsoft want to do, and, and do they really want to lessen their dependencies on the x86 ecosystem and the NVIDIA ecosystem? I don't have, know the answer to that. But but let's just to say that part of the assumption is they want to move to more of their own silicon stack and less of those others. So feeds into that dollar amount that they'll buy from an NVIDIA or an AMD or, or an Intel. Now, again, can they pull that off? I don't know. Do they tune these things so specifically that if you're fully into whatever uh, foundational model they use and the silicon's tied to that, does it get you benefits? I don't know. But obviously, as we move to bigger chips for driven by AI, AI chips specifically, there's going to be a ton of money that goes into that. And so if you factor in those three hyperscalers, what does Oracle do, right? Maybe Oracle wants to start making you know more chips. Um, perhaps a infrastructure provider like Dell wants to start making some silicon as well as they sell they, their AI racks, right? So there's a there's an assumption of, of those two things that go into it, whether it's 30, I mean, I've seen this number bounce around from 10 to 50, some sell side analysts, like the, the number is growing how fast, but it is going to be more expensive to do these, especially if they choose to do these around AI, because those packages will be pretty large. So, yeah, I, I so I guess that that boils down to a, a growing number of com, com, growing number of customers. More companies want to design their own chips. I think that's the big factor. And then you have on top of that the growing complexity of what it means to what it requires yes. to build a competitive chip. Right. All all that makes sense. I don't think Dell's going to make their own chip, but no, but you know, sure, <laughs> sure. But lots of other people are. Um, right. To to what degree? Do you think those non-chip companies designing their own chips really need a, a third party like this? And I and I ask this because 
Microsoft really didn't uh, yes. use GUC that heavily. Like they were involved, right. but they were really more of a right. project manager. They weren't doing any of the design right. work. Right. And then there are companies like like in China, in BYD, who who's just building their own chips. Like I think they have fabs at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like going all, all in. Is that, I mean, I, I guess that market is, is that just, these are two, two very big companies that can do it and everyone else is going to have to work with somebody else? Yeah, I mean, I, you, no, you, you make a good point. That's why I was very, very specific on my words as contract manufacturing. Because if you right. just think of this, like, I've done all the work, I just need you to sit as the middleman and get this made, which is what, I mean, I don't want to talk negatively about Alchip and Juicy, et cetera, but you see what I'm saying? Like, they... The company is really doing the design, and, and Microsoft has thousands of 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 people who've been doing silicon for some time. Like there's silicon that they did that goes way back into the Xbox. They never talked about, which was tons of custom right. silicon. They have an ARM architecture license. They've had it since 2010, but they're not using it for this particular solution. So they've got that expertise. Not everybody does, but but even in the case of Microsoft, I, I still think there's this there's this interesting bit, which is well, if you want to make a chip on three nanometer. Who, and you want to do it custom, who are you going to? MediaTek's your only answer. And, and, and I don't know if that matters to, to Microsoft, but it might, right? If you want best transistor density in performance per watt for your 110 by 110 or whatever giant system and package you want to make. So big. It is, but, 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 but literally, like, think about where this is going in AI. It's requiring bigger chips, bigger chiplets. More space for high memory bandwidth. Like these things are getting enormous, and and they're gonna and we're only at the beginning of this. So that that's where I just wonder, like, if you value that, and if maybe they don't. If they don't, then fine. I I don't think MediaTek wants to be a contract, a basic contract manufacturer. That's not an interesting business to them. They want to bring some value, and that's where I think the packaging, the advanced packaging relationships they have, their status at TSMC, and maybe some other components of their value chain can be useful if, if those things matter, right? And those are their biggest differentiators, in my opinion. And now it's just a matter of who can they sell that to that matters. That's that's the question going forward. Like, does Amazon care? Does Amazon want to make on three or two nanometer? And if they do, and they feel like they need to, to compete with NVIDIA or x86, media texture only game in town. Yeah. And and like I said at the, at the start of all this, is they have experience doing this. This is not something they've just made up. They actually have the experience to do it. I... I I wonder how much of that access to TSMC will end up being transferable, um, because that's a, that's a there's a lot that that get gets baked into that, right? Who's going to do the debugging? Who's going to help with the bring up and all that stuff? Yeah. Uh, but going it working in its favor is TSMC has done this for a long time, and I think their whole business model, at least in you know the silicon I'm familiar with, their their mobile and their TV stuff. Yeah. That's their whole their whole uh, you know core competency is sort of giving customers what they want in a yep. well-packaged platform. Very customer-friendly. Absolutely right. Yeah. And and I, I, I raise that point because it does open up the question of there is another company that does a lot of work with TSMC and has a lot of experience designing mobile silicon, uh, Qualcomm, which seems to not be able to get into the custom ASIC business. Or, or they choose not to. I don't know. It's it's a question of like could they do they care I think they've got bigger fish to fry, um, but you're right for whatever reason they have not decided to do any any custom collaboration or any custom silicon. So right, I I, th I think this is an interesting debate that the big chip companies have to have been having. Right, is to what degree do you want to help your customers build 
products that compete with your own, right? AMD, I wonder about this all the time. Like AMD said, all right, we're going to do custom, custom ASICs for people, even though they know that means it's going to be less CPU sales, less GPU sales, right? Less sales of their own products. And I think what most of these companies, Marvell, AMD, Broadcom, Broadcom's different, but the others are saying, look, this is, we're okay making this trade-off. We're, we're going to lose some sales of this product, but we're going to build that relationship, maintain that, and we'll be able to sell other things that go on the board. Yeah. That aren't, you know, all right, we're going to lose the CPU. I'm for Marvell. We're going to lose, lose the CPU, but we have a bunch of networking stuff that we can sell onto those adjacent boards. Right. And our customers are going to be happy to take it because we'll do a lot of that engineering work. You know, just fit right. into the flow. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I think, no, go ahead. Right. And so, as opposed to, to, I mean, the other take you could say is, look, look let's not do this. We don't want to help grow competitors. We're going to keep selling our own stuff. And I think that's that's where Qualcomm, yes. consciously or not, has ended up, is we don't want to compete with yes. them. Because I think it would be such an obvious move for them to go to Agreed. Oppo and Xiaomi and Vivo and say, you guys are so worried about geopolitical concerns. You're so worried about like the, those, the cost involved in designing your own silicon. We will help you do that, even if it means yep. less Snapdragon sales. It's, you still get the modem attached. Yep, Samsung, so, Nexus, Google, right? All, all these customers we talked before, right? If they want to do their own, take their money, right? That's that's right. been the play. But but so so there's there's two things I think is interesting with MediaTek. MediaTek has actually, at least in terms of their product categories, where they're doing custom silicon is areas they don't intend to commercialize a chip, and I think that's sort of an interesting distinction, right? So they made an announcement with Meta that they're going to collaborate with Meta on the custom chip that goes into the next generation of glasses, which today, run, well, the, the Ray-Ban chips today run uh, a Qualcomm um, AR chip. But this was more about like an augmented reality experience. So Meta is trying to make glasses with all the whiz-bang displayed hoop wops. And so they're, they're commercializing that as a custom chip for Meta. It doesn't appear that they want to make that chip and go and sell it to other brands, right? They're collaborating. It's the same with some of these data center ASICs. They don't want to commercialize a chip. They're just happy to be the company that they come to, to, to make these things. And that's a very different strategy, right? Your Broadcom and Marvell one is interesting because they basically are already having these relationships with customers, right? They're all, they're already deeply engaged. Like they've got that customer conversation. In these cases, MediaTek doesn't. Like they, their sales team had to go pitch made it. Their sales teams are going to have to keep you know, banging on Amazon and Google and uh, and and Microsoft's door. They don't have those relationships, but their point's going to be clear. Like, we're not in this business. We're not commercializing a data center chip. We will do it for you. And here's what we bring to the table. Access to TSMC, access to leading edge packaging, customer-friendly approach, right? And that's kind of the, the where I see them at least differentiating, which again, I think is interesting. But like I said, Everywhere they've talked about custom silicon, they don't. It doesn't appear they in turn to productize a product. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That that makes a lot of sense. I think, with with the exception of AR VR, but even there, I mean, yeah, I think I think that it's it's a good it's an important distinction, and I, I actually think the real the real root of the reason Qualcomm is not in this is because of IP, right. Qualcomm cares a whole lot about its IP in a way that MediaTek doesn't. It doesn't have to because they don't have a big licensing business. And I think that's uh, my intuition is that's where Qualcomm is getting stuck is if they go out and design a custom help, say, Xiaomi develop an, a custom applications processor, they then put their own 
mm. patent portfolio at risk because someone could say, oh, you have this this patent for Snapdragon, but that's nullified by the stuff you did for for Xiaomi. Mm. Or, or, or Xiaomi could say, hey, you're putting our technology into Oppo's chip. Right, we're not gonna. We mm. we want to discount on the license. Like all all that kind of stuff plays a role in Qualcomm that it doesn't for the others. Uh, so that's. I mean, I think that they're sort of stuck with that tr- strategic right. trade off. But 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 what if they took this same approach though, like MediaTek is, where they don't like if they don't if they don't care to productize, like the data center, for example. Like that's not an area that they clearly have a chip on their roadmap. Why not say hey? work with us for that. We're not going to, we're not going to make a product there. We've got IP, but we don't need SEPs for that. They just, they're using their expertise and their, their size and leverage to help design. Like I've, it's a reasonable approach. Again, I don't know why they don't, but I I would never see Qualcomm going down the route of, of helping competitors build competing chips. Or even customers build competing chips. Customers build competing, exactly. So, but there's options. I just think MediaTek strategy is really, really interesting. So we'll see. And if if you just hang the what's the side, what's the lowest hanging fruit in terms of growth business for that type of company, like MediaTek, for example, Custom Asics is a growth business. How big? We don't know, but that's low hanging fruit. Okay, Custom Silicon, good business if you can be in it. There you go. MediaTek looks looks promising here. Yep. And we'll see. We'll see where the OpenAI saga goes. Maybe next week we have a different update. In fact, next week, though, is also uh, Amazon reInvent, where we don't necessarily need to talk about it, but I'm guessing more custom silicon from Amazon is coming. That's right. We'll see what the new Graviton Trainium, looks like. Yeah, we'll Inferentia and Trainium, if they... If they move at all i i mean they're in the same camp as as microsoft like they designed yeah. those chips over a year ago and it's it's yeah. not going to be what people want or need they're going to be tough to get people excited about it but hopefully i'll be wrong yep yep all right good time everybody hopefully you have a great thanksgiving if you're in the u.s and you haven't celebrated it if you've already celebrated it because it's the week after hope you had a great thanksgiving if you're in the u.s actually everyone should just celebrate thanksgiving i don't care what company you are country are have a day where you just celebrate what you're thankful for i'm thankful for all our listeners thank you for listening yes thanks everybody talk to you next time bye